Good morning, Journey. Uh, it's, it's good to be back with you this morning, uh, preaching through Colossians. Uh, but before we jump into our scripture this morning, I just want to kind of reiterate and encourage you to be a part of our prayer night tomorrow evening. Um, it's my heart and our leadership's desire to make prayer a regular rhythm here at Journey Christian Church. So part of that is just uh, monthly prayer times together as a church family. So, so we have one scheduled tomorrow night, and we'll do one again in July, one again in August, and then hopefully from there on out. Just a time to gather together corporately uh, to pray together uh, for, for the church family. You know, there, there's something, uh, some, something fun about ordering your favorite pizza. You know, th there's a sense of anticipation uh, that, that comes with it. You know, f for us, we, we pull out our pizza, uh, pizza Hut app, we open it up, and, and then it begins this process of selecting whatever you want. You, you hit the menu, and you decide, oh, do I want, you know, cheese only? You, you tap that. Or, or, or maybe you're more on the, on the carnivore side, and you want the meat lover pizza. And then you go crazy and, add, and put the add-ons, little extra pepperoni, little extra sausage. You know, for me, it's sausage and olives if I have a choice tap that, and in 15 minutes I can drive over to Pizza Hut and have a pizza. You know, the sense of anticipation and expectation. You know, th then there's even the supreme pizza that, that you can order. But even with that, you can kind of pick and choose what you want on a supreme pizza. Uh, if you don't like the, the green peppers, you know, delete. Don't, don't want that? You want some extra sauce to make it even more supreme? You can select that as well. You know, I, I think for some, being a Christian can be like ordering your favorite pizza. Now, by, by that I mean a little of this and leave off a little of that. So you, you pull out your phone and instead of opening your Pizza Hut app, you, you open up your Jesus app. And, and you select menu and, and on the drop down menu, you know, you select what you want about the faith thing and leave off the rest. So if you're not sure about Jesus, you select the thin crust pizza. Just a little slice, a thin slice of Jesus, because not, not too much. But if you're feeling super spiritual, man, you select the deep dish, thick crust of Jesus, and then you pay for the extra add-ons, and you pick and choose what you want. And some people go through life selecting their Christian topping. Keep the desirable that you want and, and leave off the rest. You know, you're feeling like a little extra peace and comfort this week? Oh, I'll take some of that, Jesus. You know, load up on extra grace? Yeah, it's been a rough week. You know, I kind of lost it a few times and said things I shouldn't say. So, you know, bring on the extra grace. But forgiving others? I'm, I'm going to delete that from, from my life. So we end up kind of leaving off the hard stuff, don't we? We, we leave off the persecutions, we leave off the trials, we, we leave off the suffering, we leave off the prayers that go unanswered month after month, year after year. Unfortunately, there's times when people come to church and, and come to Christianity or their faith with that kind of mindset. <clears throat> you know, they'll say, I, I need help with X, Y, Z over here, but but leave that over there. You know, I, I just want a help with just, just this area, just a little bit of Jesus, but not too much. You know, Jesus 
speak into this area of my life that I'm struggling with, you know, just a thin slice there, but all that other stuff, no, I'm going to leave aside. Well, maybe after today, after we dig into our text a little bit, you might think that being a Jesus follower is kind of like the the anchovies of the pizza world, you know, nobody would choose it. Because our text kind of points out some, some things that, you know, might make us uncomfortable. Well, we're continuing our series through Colossians today, um, the series that we're calling The Supreme Life. And today I want to talk to you about ministry, supreme ministry. And we're going to look at Paul's ministry experience that, that he describes at the end of chapter 1 and early chapter 2. And as we do, it might leave you with a question that says, you know, is it really worth it? Well, my prayer is that you answer a resounding yes. So no matter who you are, no matter what age in life that you are, no matter where you are at in your walk with Jesus, we are all called into supreme ministry for the kingdom and the church. So that's really what I want you to hone in on today and and remember from this text, that, that you are called into supreme ministry. No matter whether you have a you know, formal ministry or serving in an active area or not, it includes all of us. Now, this slice of supreme ministry is characterized by three ingredients that fall on it, it, all of us. The ingredients are suffering, striving, and serving. And you know what? Everybody gets a slice of this. Well, the, the first ingredient is, is simply a willingness to suffer. So we're picking up in chapter 1 of Colossians, and we're going to start at verse 24 and work our way into the beginning verses of chapter 2. But Paul begins in verse 24 by saying, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now we, we read that, those beginning verses and we think, What? I rejoice in what I'm suffering. Now, this is a, this is a picture here of Paul the prisoner. Now, remember, remember back a couple weeks ago, we kind of set the stage, and, and we know that Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing this letter to a group of Christians, of early Jesus followers in the city of Colossae. And Paul is rejoicing. Because it wasn't about him. He was rejoicing because of Jesus that he was proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and not the Roman ruler at the time named Caesar. He's rejoicing because he's suffering for the church at Colossae, people that he had never met before. He's rejoicing for the outsiders of the Jewish faith, what they they called Gentiles, and he's rejoicing because of of his desire and God's desire to bring them in and show them that they are a part of God's plan. You know, do you ever watch those uh, for, forensic science murder-solving TV shows? Dory and I wa- watched one last week, and they always, like, start with the murder, and then they use all the, all the DNA evidence and high-tech science stuff to point, you know, to the murderer, and by the end of the show, the guy's convicted and serving life in prison. And it's always fascinated how they can, you know, use... Uh, samples of hair and blood and use all this DNA type of stuff to, to bring a conviction. 
You know, I think it'd be an interesting study for a forensic scientist to look at the body of Paul and the marks that suffering has had on his body. If you read through the book of Acts, which is a, a, new, uh, a new church hi uh, history of the new church, you'll see Paul's bio and his life and how, and how his work for the early church left marks on his body. You know, so if a forensic science look, look at his, uh, they would see, you know, marks of being pummeled by stones and being left for dead. They, they would see scars on his flesh from being whipped and flogged uh, because he proclaimed Jesus. They would see scars from probably chains on his wrists and, and ankles from imprisonment. They would, they would see the effects of starvation on his organs because he went without food on a regular basis. And then they would just see a, a weathered body because of uh, just exposure due to a lack of clothing. Well, why go through this? Paul says he rejoices in this suffering for you, for the church. Folks, I think persecution and suffering can be the best thing that can happen to the church. I know that sounds a little, little out there, but all throughout history, when the church has faced persecution, the church grows. Suffering helps advance the gospel. If, if you study church history, it, it's through, through those times of persecution trials when, when missionaries were willing to undergo hardship that we see the church expanding and exploding. So there really wouldn't be any New Testament churches without Paul's willingness to suffer for them, to willing, a willingness to put himself in place, his, his life at risk for the sake of the gospel. You know, in our times, I, I think about the church in China. When communism took hold in China in the 1940s and early 50s, Christians were persecuted, Christian missionaries were eventually expelled from the country in the early 50s, and you would think, oh, that's the demise of Christianity in China. But the opposite has happened. The church there has exploded. And, and I've read that pastors and church leaders do not consider themselves worthy of leading a church until they've been imprisoned for preaching the gospel. There, there's a ministry out there called Voice of the Martyrs, um, and it was kind of derived it based from the life of a pastor named Richard Wormbrand. And he was a, a Romanian pastor, and under communism in Romania, he was arrested for being a Christian and for preaching Christ. And Wormbrand spent 14 years in prison, repeatedly tortured because of who he was and because of his faith in Jesus. Well, this ministry called Voice of the Martyrs has grown out of that, and he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, which has been read by thousands of people and ha has literally encouraged generations of believers because of his willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. You know, I, I said a couple weeks ago that Paul wrote from prison and for a purpose. And his place in prison really gave his message power and credibility. And he wrote this letter to strengthen Christians, to strengthen the church, both in Colossa and us today. You know, he had never met these people, but he's, he was willing to suffer for them. And you wonder, what kind of person would do that? What kind of person would willingly suffer, face hardships for people that 
They've never met. Well, it's one who loves and follows Jesus. And then Paul says this, this kind of interesting thing in verse 24. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in, in regards to Christ's afflictions. And we read that and go, man, what, what's Paul mean by that? Well, it does not mean that Paul is like making up for something. That he's not making up for something lacking in the suffering of Christ on the cross. Because the whole of Colossians teaches us that Christ is sufficient. Christ, Jesus is not insufficient by any means. And that's the whole theme of this book of Colossians. Well, what does it mean? I think scholars and biblical commentators all agree that there is a close identification with, with Christ and the church when they're suffering because of Jesus. So Paul knew that his sufferings were, were good for the church. I mean, he says it's for the church to strengthen it, to encourage it, to embolden it. And you know what? That's a major game changer for us today. It's a perspective changer. So that we can then look at our times of struggles, our times of difficulty, and, and realize that, you know, God can use that for good. God can use that to strengthen other believers. You know, I think about through my ministry years how God has used illness, for example, uh, to strengthen the church families that we've been a part of. In Council Bluffs, there, there was a man named Jeff Clawson who was diagnosed with a very rare and deadly uh, disease. And to, to watch Jeff go through this process of, of disease that eventually uh, led to his death was a testimony to his living faith. And how Jeff and his wife, Chris, approached it was nothing. They just focused on Jesus through the entire time. And at his, at his memorial service, it was a time of just lifting up Jesus, of preaching the gospel, of celebrating the living faith that Jeff had to the very end of his life. And there, were, there was a, an, another time in, in my ministry when, when I was with a group of people in a hospital waiting room in Illinois. And a member of our church family was, was in surgery for cancer. And we're in, we're in the waiting room praying with the group of people. And later on, the surgeon came out and he said to the family that, you know, I, I, opened, I opened this person up, I opened her up, and the cancer tissue, and these are his words, were changing right before my very eyes. And just that testimony went on to strengthen the church. And it went on to strengthen other people as they faced their own cancer diagnoses. So what about you? How can your struggles strengthen others? Or how have you been strengthened by others' difficulties? So instead of crying out and saying, God, why me? Maybe ask the question, God, what can you do through me? because of this. So that first ingredient in supreme ministry is just a different perspective on suffering, a willingness to go through it knowing that it can strengthen other believers and it can strengthen the church. The second ingredient in, in supreme ministry is a heart for service. So we pick up in verse 25, and Paul begin, continues, 
I have become its servant, meaning the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if that beginning verse is a picture of, of Paul the prisoner, here's a picture of Paul the servant. You know, he's willing to suffer for the church, and, and he has a heart of service for the church. He's given this commission to serve. And, and other versions of the Bible um, say that, um, worded, I have become a minister according to the stewardship of God. But don't, don't think of professional pastor here. Don't think of having a job as a pastor. Just think of a servant in any capacity. That's what the word minister means. If you've been around other churches, you might have heard the word deacon before. That simply is a Greek word that means servant. But Paul is saying, I'm, I'm just going to serve the church because God has called me to it. And he says, to do what? He wants to present the word of God in its fullness. In, in other words, don't leave any, anything out. And for us here, that means we're preaching the Bible. You know, we, we, we preach the feel-good, warm, fuzzy parts, and we preach the confrontational parts that we would like to leave out, you know, like a willingness to suffer. You know, it's, it's, our, it's my style when I, when I preach to go through books of the Bible or, or go through sections of Scripture because it tells us that the word of God is alive and active. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it, it simply says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know, what, what, what does that mean? It means the word of God can come into our head, you know, through knowledge, but it can't stop there. It also has to impact our heart. And it begins to change us from the inside out. And it also impacts our hands and how we live out our faith on a regular basis. And Paul says he's a servant of the, of the church and, and he brings to light this mystery. And this mystery is not a secret knowledge as we talked a couple of weeks ago. The mystery, he says, is simply Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's saying it's a uniting of, of Jew and non-Jew, the Gentiles. And that's a major game changer in his day. Because back then, you know, the Israelite people were very clear on, you know, who they were, but they were also clear on who all the other people were. There was a huge us and them dichotomy. You know, who was in, who was out, who was clean, who was unclean, who followed the, the Torah, the law, and who didn't. You know, even their central place of worship in Jerusalem had, a, had what they called a court of Gentiles, where the non-Jewish people had to stay, and only Jewish people could enter the temple proper. It just magnified the, the difference between them. So the Paul says that the mystery is that Christ is in all who believe. There's no longer a distinction. But it brings us to the question today, is Christ in you? Is Christ your hope? 
See, Christ in us means there's a new way of living that we go about our day-to-days. Christ in us means that we have a new set of priorities that focus on people and not possessions and people, not power. Christ in us means a new passion for sharing Jesus with others, a, a new passion for serving the church and serving others. Christ in us means that there's no longer us versus them mentality. It means there's no longer black versus white, Caucasian versus Hispanic, or Husker versus Hawkeye. So this this ingredient of supreme ministry, it not only gives us a different perspective on suffering, but it also gives us a heart for service as well. Third ingredient I want to look at this morning is a passion to serve. A passion to serve the church. Paul talks about how how difficult that can be at times. Uh, In verse 28, he says, He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's saying, man, we're striving. We're striving for maturity. And what does that look like? How does he do it? He says, we preach and proclaim Christ. And here today, we preach and proclaim the work of Jesus. And as as it says, that means we not only proclaim it, but at times we have to admonish which just means warn. In other words, if there's sin in your life, we're saying, be careful. That's going to cause problems. We teach scripture. We we apply this this book to our life. You know, we need to grasp an understanding of it and then internalize it. And Paul says he does that so that he can present us fully mature in Christ. Now, some some versions of the Bible say complete in Christ, but, but don't think of complete in the sense of like you've attained it, you've finished it, you know, you can check it off the list. Mature is a better word um, because he's saying that's all part of the, this proclaiming, this teaching, this admonishing, it's all part of this ongoing maturing process that we call discipleship, that we call being a disciple of Jesus. So there's tools that we can utilize in our life to help us be a stronger disciple of Jesus. You know, one is right here. I mean, just spending time in God's Word, marinating our life in it. Now, that means reading it. It means memorizing Scripture verses from time to time. It means being open to teaching and and kind of being a student of Scripture. But beyond just internalizing it, it also means sharing what you've learned with others. And that's necessarily not in a formal setting of being a Sunday school teacher or or standing up here and preaching or teaching, but it's just saying, hey, here's what God is doing in my life lately. Or saying, hey, I I read this passage this morning, and it really struck me in this way. But it also means serving and ministering. You know, there is nothing more encouraging and that... that, um, brings growth in our life than when we are serving in ministry, when we are sharing what we have learned, what, when we take the focus off ourselves and on to others. 
But there's two important words in this passage that we need to emphasize when it comes to maturity, and it's in Christ. Our maturity, our completeness, the supreme life that we have is found when we put our lives in Christ, in the hands of Jesus. You know, so my prayer for you as, as your pastor is that you find your fulfillment, that sense of completeness, not in another person, not, not in your job, not, not in any possession that you have, but only in Jesus. You know, I, I've tried that back in my BC days before Christ, and let me just save you the trouble, save you the heartache. It's, it's not worth it. Man, that true sense of completeness in life, of finding fulfillment, comes when we put our life in the hands of Jesus. So Paul says he is strenuously contending for the church to do that very thing. The word contend literally means agonize. It's this picture of, of Olympic athletes just straining and agonizing for the goal. And that, that's Paul's heart for the church. You know, agony is not a word that we often put together with, with uh, church ministry. You know, how often do you agonize over the church? In a positive way, I should say. <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes we approach the church with a capital C. Sometimes we approach it with the, with the attitude of, you know, what can the church do for me? Or how can, the, you know, how can the church help me or serve me? Or what can the church give me? But let me ask you. Let me ask you today to do a little agonizing and striving for the church. Agonizing prayer for the church, you know. Be a, be a part of this, this desire, this rhythm to, to lift up journey in prayer. A agonize and pray with me for the people that call journey their home. Agonize and prayer and prayer with me for the ministry of journey. That it can be more than just, you know, inside these four walls on a Sunday morning but that we can have a larger impact in this community, in this county, and really around the world. And Paul says this, this passion to strive, it leads to, it leads to maturity. And he, here's how he describes it in the beginning verses of chapter 2. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, my goal, my goal for Journey Christian Church is that we might find encouragement in heart because of Jesus, that we might be united in love because of Jesus, that we might have complete understanding of Scripture because of who we are in Jesus. Why? Paul says, because he wants them to know Christ. And that the only mystery out there, he says, has been disclosed, it's been made known, and it's Jesus. And I desire nothing more for you that you know Jesus. I'm going to invite the praise team to, to come back up this morning. You know, and as they do, this supreme ministry that Scripture calls us to, one is a call for all of us. 
It's not just for a select few. It's not, that, it's not just for the ones that make their living out of ministry. It's for all of us. And this slice of supreme ministry, you know, the, the toppings come with the willingness to suffer. Toppings are a heart for service, and a topping is a passion to strive for maturity, both in your life and in the life of the church. And you know what? No matter who you are, like I said, no matter where you are at, we are called into supreme ministry for the church. Let's step into that today. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for deeming us worthy to be your servants. To be called uh, worthy to, to step into the ministry that you have for us. So, Father, help us to put aside every excuse. Help, help us to put aside reasons why we wouldn't do it. And, Lord, may we put our lives into your hands today and say, Lord, use me in whatever capacity you see fit. So, Lord, I pray that today for this church family, for those here this morning, and I pray in your name. Amen.